Uh, David and Tora are unavailable this month. Um, they're having a, um, they're out sick. I hope they feel better soon. However, we have a special guest this month. Introduce himself. I'll let him, I'll let him introduce himself. Oh, hi. Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> it's okay. I, I'm Tom Merritt. Nice to meet you all. I have big shoes to fill. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, um, since this is your first time on the podcast, Tom, um, what is your background with anime? Uh, not really that extensive, to be honest. Uh, I dabble. Uh, I've I've you know watched a lot of the big ones like Princess Mononoke and uh, and things like that. Uh, I have a bigger background in wuxia, the sort of the Chinese uh, martial arts fantasy genre, and Jansha, which is e even more fantasy, where you bring in the gods and and all of that. So when you suggested uh, our our viewing for this month, I, I was as excited on that side uh as i was on the fact that it was an entirely different take on anime yeah um so quick explanation for what we're doing for this month for those who are just tuning in um january is, is the month of chinese new year and for anime productions oftentimes they will farm out work to countries where the chinese um the lunar new year is not celebrated in Japan as much, um, but it is oftentimes work is farmed out to countries where it is celebrated, Korea, China, Taiwan, and so on. Um, this is for stuff like in between again, that sort of thing. And so I felt it'd be, it's appropriate to acknowledge the contributions of these other countries to anime by look, looking at works where there's co-productions or um, adaptations of anime material, of uh, Japanese material or vice versa adaptations of material from those countries into animation um, to highlight that work. And so that's what we do. So for this month, um, we're taking a look at uh, uh, the second season of Thunderbolt Fantasy. Um, normally when I start off the, the episode, when I do a uh, recap of like what I'm watching at the moment or current news in anime, um, I will admit I fell behind on my current um, what the new season stuff just because Awesome Games and Quick happened and that kind of tends to focus, pull up my attention. And then I had a minor internet outage that almost led to this episode being postponed by a week. Um, a couple minor news stories I do, I do want to talk about real quick. Um, one is, uh, there, so there's a company called Discotech Media who puts out physical releases of older anime and some newer stuff. Um, they did their recent announcement stream, and the two big things of note is, one, they got their stream uh, taken down by Content ID partway through by Toho when they were playing a trailer for the for a toku, tokusatsu series that they licensed, which was, which was funny in an unintentional fashion. Um, and the second is, to the joy of anime fans across possibly the world um they licensed rescued the 1997 berserk anime have you heard about berserk or the 1997 series at all tom no i haven't i'm, I'm interested to find out more uh so berserk is the the source material is a manga by kentaro miura who passed away sadly um a few years ago of a aortic dissection uh it is a dark fantasy anime series um i mean manga series uh, it kind of shifts between different tones. There's the, the what what the main body of the 1997 anime adapts is what's known as the Golden Age arc, which mm -hmm. is I would describe as being more having more of like the political and uh, fantasy military themes of something like early like first few seasons of Game of Thrones, where there are this the, the dark supernatural elements lingering around the fringes, like with what's going on north of the Wall and that sort of thing. But there's also a heavy focus on like internal political conflicts. And that sort of stuff. Um, and then there's like a little, a short prologue in front of that, just known as the Black Swordsman arc, which sets up that this is where the main status quo is going to be. This is sort of very dark, somewhat swords and sorcery setup, where there's all sorts of nasty monsters going around and that sort of thing. And then there's after the Golden Age arc, where we where an event happens that causes the world to change to that new, to that uh, darker status quo. And uh, we see what happened and we're, we're 
see with how people are adapting and living in that world. Um, so this this is not so the nineteen eighty seven anime is the first anime adaptation and the first time the Golden Age arc was adapted. There was a trilogy like like four films, like three or four films by Studio Nine Celsius, I believe was the name. Um, they also they also worked on things like the two uh, thousand Thundercats cartoon series, um, but and that has very stepped up animation, but it cuts out that prologue, that Black Swordsman prologue, which I think adds some useful setup. Both of them have like really good soundtracks. Um, I, I I'm definitely looking forward to this anime to the re-release. I'm glad they got the dub back, including uh, the series is known for some very famous uh, blooper reels, with, and they had to get those included. So I'm, I'm I'm glad this got licensed. They have the trailer on the Discotech Media YouTube channel, um, along with um, the archive of their VOD, uh, of, uh, or VODs, because there were two of them, for the Discotech Day st uh, Media stream. Uh, yeah, it, that is... I wouldn't give it a total recommendation because it does have some of the problems uh, that Game of Thrones has in terms of sexual assault comes up over the course of the series, mm. and there's a lot of violence. A lot of violence. Um, so... I've seen Attack on Titan. Where does it stand in relation to that, do you think? So the, the violence, is, I would say it's the violence is comparable to Attack on Titan in terms of, like, you, you have people getting bit in half mm -hmm. Attack on Titan and that sort of thing, and you have... People and horses getting cut in half. Because if you look up a picture of the main character Guts from Berserk, he has this very large sword. Uh, in fact, um, I would argue that he's kind of set the archetype of um, of the sullen swordsman with the absurdly huge sword. <laughs> um, and uh, he uses it quite well. It cuts through lots of things. That's <laughs> quite sharp. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely worth picking uh picking up i'll buy another thing i'd compare to it tonally for his narrative work is if you played final fantasy tactics mm. um some of the narrative elements fit in with final fantasy tactics the point that there's an item in, in the berserk series called the behelet and if you played through far, far enough in the final fantasy final fantasy tactic where the zodiac stones come up that's um the Zodiac Stones are similar to Behemoths. Okay. Um, so, like, that's like that's the one big thing. The other one is a uh, more somber news story. Um, the arsonist who, the and mur murderer who committed the uh, Kyoto animation arson uh, was sentenced to death. I saw that, uh, and uh, not not something common uh, in in Japan to sentence someone to death these days. Yeah, it is usually saved for people who have committed acts of mass murder. Like mm -hmm. the, the last high profile death sentence was like the um, related to the Amshin Rikio attacks. Um, and like I remember because I'm deeply into the anime enthusiast press circles and following them because I want to keep track of what's going on in anime. And when the attack happened, just there was a lot of coverage in terms of like as the fire happened and as things came afterwards of who were lost and that sort of thing and the, like uh, like the director of um of uh miss kobayashi's dragon maid was one of the people killed um mm. some of the animation directors and key animators who worked on stuff like liz and the bluebird which was shortlisted for an academy award were killed um and I'm not a guy who likes to soapbox a lot, but I will briefly soapbox here. Um, I like the Kyoto animation arson was probably one of the biggest, like if not if not the biggest, deliberate attacks of acts of mass, mass violence on film, um, on 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 cinema, be it animated or live action, in quite some time, and. When they had the following Academy Awards in, in Memoriam, I wouldn't have expected them to give the list of all the names of the dead or like show them individually. Um, but I'd hoped that because they'd had several films shortlisted, if not nominated, like in like List of the Blue Bluebird, um, A Silent Voice, 
uh, works that had received very heavy critical praise from the mainstream critical press, like um, from the BBC and Guardian and that sort of thing, that I hope there'd have been some acknowledgement there, even just like a moment, like the victims of the Kyoto animation arson just had that on screen. Um, and I was disappointed that that, ha that that did not happen. I understand that it's common for people to be disappointed and at snubs at the Academy Awards in memoriam, but this was... This felt bigger, even beyond just the Academy not necessarily appreciating animation. Mm. Do you um, know how many of those people were members of the Academy? Because uh, I know that that that's how they determine who's even considered for who goes into the memoriam. Um, I don't know if anyone necessarily was. Because mm -hmm. um, part of the thing is, for, as far as for getting your induction, you either get a deliberate not uh, induction by the Academy itself, or you are in a nominated work. And there was a there were nominated works involved then. Yeah, yeah, they were they were shortlisted, but they weren't nominated. And ah, okay. Uh, there was a Hollywood Reporter thing from several years ago, when the year that um, um, the um, Taylor Pritz Kaguya, which was the last film from South Takahata, was nominated, and. Uh, Hollywood Reporter does a series of candid, um, off the uh, anonymous interviews with people who are voters in various categories, and um, the for the animation category because that was also the year that like uh, the Red Turtle I think was nominated and Book of Kells, um, and like there was a definite sense of like from the people who were ultimate voters in that category that they're basically deferring to the thing their kids watched and i believe the, i must say that was that was the year that boss baby won mm. for best mm -hmm. animated feature and this has led to like to a chunk of of not just anime fandom but animation uh the animation industry as well being somewhat disappointed with the academy with how the academy handles the animation awards yeah so it, it ends up being a uh an evidence of, of a wider problem than just the in memoriam is that that the anime industry isn't well represented within the academy it sounds like yeah it, it's it can be, it's other it goes on to other awards as well like the international emmy awards um they have a single category for animation which is children's animation for the daytime uh international daytime emmys whereas they have a whereas the domestic emmy awards have two um, mm -hmm. daytime and uh, for daytime and general animation, and I believe they have acting and music um, categories as well. Whereas they don't have a similar degree of parity with the uh, with the international enemies, and this doesn't just hurt like um, animation in particular. Like there aren't production design awards or costume design awards on the international Emmys, so. Um, for example, the costume designers for Squid Game aren't going to get the same degree of recognition that they would have if it was Americans if they worked on an American series. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but enough of the, the 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 darker conversation. Let's talk about the lighter fare of um, Wuxia's of uh, a Zianxia really proper series about uh, puppets. So. And you mentioned you watched beforehand, watched episode zero, the making of. Did, how much did you get to watch of episode one or season one? I, I watched one episode uh, of season one. Uh, just af so so I watched all of season two. Then I watched the the episode zero making of, uh, and then I watched episode one of season one just to kind of get the flavor of it, uh, and and saw a couple of familiar faces from season two. <laughs> yeah, um, you get uh, so. How was how was it jumping in midstream, so to speak? Here, uh, yeah, uh, I, I wondered about that. I wondered if I should start with episode one uh, and, and and just power through to get to, to episode two. But uh, I I tried episode one of season two, and I felt like I wasn't thrown in the deep end and and unfamiliar with anything. I also did a little bit of looking at the Wikipedia just to familiarize myself with the general 
premise. I didn't go into the plot summaries or anything, but uh, so so I kind of knew a little bit of the backstory of of the uh, the sister and everything. Uh, so I wasn't too lost, and I felt like season two was a self contained story. Uh, I'm sure it has more connections to season one than than I would obviously be aware of, but uh, you know, an, I, an itinerant warrior protecting a scroll uh, travels out uh, across the land and and runs into adventures and threats. Uh, so it it worked on its own for me. Yeah, I, I'm pleased to hear that because, um, like, as we were watching it again, I was for this um, watch. This is actually my third time watching it. I think. Oh yeah. Um, so I, like, in the, during lockdown, uh, actually a little before lockdown, I'd gotten my parents into watching anime. Um, and I decided at some point, because I'd heard good reviews about this show from other anime podcasts, like Reverse Thieves and that sort of thing. And I'm like, okay, I should watch Thunderbolt Fantasy. And I was incredibly impressed. And then I decided, oh, I even in spite of the fact of bloody violence with puppets, I figured, like, you know what, I'm going to try this out with my parents anyway. And they enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Um, and so going into season th- to season two with this rewatch, I was impressed with like how well it handles jumping an audience in more or less partway through the story. Um, there are some bits which are, it helps from watching the first season before this. Like there's the bit when we, we're, we're going to have some spoilers here for listeners, by the way, where there's a bit when, um, I'm, I'm going to use Art's names, by the way, here, because I have a bit of a speech impediment when it comes to certain phonemes, so it works better for me. So when the enigmatic Gale makes um, introduces himself to the uh, hunting fox, mm-hmm. there was this definite moment, that, like because I'd seen season one where they previously established that that the enigmatic Gale's greatest joy in life is finding villainous scumbags and just utterly breaking them. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. Oh, this is what his game is. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's interesting because when he shows up, I'm having not seen season one yet. I'm thinking, oh, okay. So we have two magistrates here. Maybe it's going to be a competition story between the two of them. Uh, and then they did a good job of revealing to me slowly, like enigmatic Gale is not who you think he is. Uh, and, and I, I caught up on his personality quickly so that when I did end up going back and watching that first episode of season one and you see him under the tree, then it felt like, Oh yeah, I know who he is. And he's, he's going to, he's going to mess with our hero, uh, and, 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 you know, test his character basically, uh, which is exactly what happens. So I, I, I didn't feel lost. It felt like they did a good job of reintroducing him, at least from, from where I was sitting. Uh, uh, one of the things I also appreciated with like this is in season one, they held off on bringing in the character poems, which is a part of the Taiwanese for um, uh, this particular public um, theater, uh, theater as a, as a general medium thing, they, they held off and bring those in when we had the defining character moments for them at, at various points. What, um, what are those? So by way of explanation, so we, when you had the, the portion where you have like the, um, where the dialogue switches to, from Japanese dub to the Ty- Taiwanese and you like, you have, for example, for, um, Shang Han, uh, Angelus Blade, the even a storm can ruin an umbrella is not. Ah, I gotcha. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when those character poems come in, which de- exploit a core element of that character's personality, um, in the season one for like when those when that was introduced for Edgel's Blade and so forth, that like that one came in for him at the end where we've fully established his personality. Mm. The one for Enigmatic Gale came in when he was pulling. Um, when he was pulling the big reveal on his scheme on the big bad of that season. Yeah. yeah. Um, And whereas here we brought those in right when those characters were reintroduced, because we're, we, from that series, we are operating from the assumption now that you, we have already established these characters, right? We're not necessarily going to need to reestablish their full arc again. So we will drop that. So we'll drop the poem in to refresh the audience and introduce new, new viewers. And then um, for other characters, we will drop their poems in as it is dramatically necessary. So, um, uh, absolute um, um, absolute emptiness. Um, 
the uh, monk, we drop his in when he has his big heel turn. Um, we drop in the poem for um, Hunting Fox once we reveal that he that he is a very a, a very dirty cop, not just a dirty mm-hmm. cop, but a yeah, very yeah. dirty cop. He belongs uh, on the shield. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and that worked really well, uh, I think. Um, one other fun bit is um, so for the uh, Japan for the this TV release um, because this this is the version they aired on Japanese television. The Taiwanese version has like one actor who handles narration, the character poems, and all of the voices for all of the characters. But that's mm-hmm. how it's traditionally done with Chinese theater. Um, for the this version, we had different voice actors for the various characters, as you'd have for um, a Japanese anime and that sort of thing. But it's also meant that the character pronunciations of the names um, were, were used, the Japanese localizations of those names. Um, and sometimes, while well, the subtitles kept the Taiwanese version. And for some people that that's caused a bit of a mental whiplash. How did that work? Yeah, there, there, I, I didn't notice it at first because I was so focused on just reading the subtitles. Uh, and, and I, I speak the, the smallest amount of Japanese. Um, but, but as it went on and I, I started to get more comfortable with the characters, I started to hear the different pronunciation and I was like, okay, I, I wonder what the story is behind that. So that explains it. Thank you for that. Um, so the other thing is like, like I'd been familiar with a certain degree of like before I we did season one last year, worked with a familiar degree, certain degree of um, not so much like glove puppet theater with like a more dramatic dark take. I mean, I'd seen like um, uh, the Dark Crystal and that sort of thing, which is it's not the same type of puppet, but it's the same. It is similar manipulation in terms of uh, rod and glove puppetry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd been familiar with sort of like. Thunderbirds and that sort of thing, which is yeah. marionation. That was the uh, thing but, that I first thought of, even though it's marionation and 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 is quite different. It, it it had a bit of that feeling to it. Mm-hmm. But I'd also noticed like with this that like or like those still maintain like they could have a degree of like heavy action, but they weren't particularly had not we'll put too fine a point on it. Less violence, whereas this is a lot of bloody violence to it. Yeah. How, how did the um uh uh, how was there a, a tonal whiplash with handling the violence in the series for you? No, it entertained me. I'm probably a, a bad person, but uh, <laughs> when I saw, you know, puppets slashing each other in half, I, I was, there was a little of a uh, team America world police <laughs> kind of, kind of vibe uh, going on there. And, and that with the soundtrack, you know, with the, like the metal heavy rock uh, soundtrack, I, I found that, that really delightful to be honest. Yeah, um, that like the, the the vibe that uh, David and I got last season was um, um, more Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're inter- not quite the same level of uh, somebody gets exploded and like five rib cages come flying out, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all motivated violence yeah. i never thought it was like whoa you didn't need to do that uh but it's it's not shying away from 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 showing some things um so you mentioned the the, the um the more metal tinged music so how do you think of the soundtrack um, yeah, I liked it. I, I dug it. Um, you know, as a uh, as someone who played loudness on the radio uh, back in the day, uh, you know, it, it had a little nostalgic feel for me. Uh, um, I was like, kind of pleased um, in the past few years. Um, we've gotten a lot more anime music on streaming services these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be way back in the day. Um, uh, they sort of tech kept with the, the the Japanese record labels and kept with the Johnny's and associates vibe of why do we need the foreign market? Um, yeah. And so you so, couldn't get any of the OST stuff. Yeah. Or you had to, or you had to go to sites like CD Japan and import uh-huh. and that sort of thing. You still sure, have to sure. do that for, for physical stuff, but now you do have the access to streaming. Um, so whereas here we have um, the, um, um, score by Hiroyuki Sawano, and we can go listen to that on uh, Tidal and Apple Music. Um, and we also have uh, uh, Takanori Nishi, uh, Nishikawa um, also 
two a couple songs on the soundtrack. They're actually listed on. Um, so he has two music names, those his own, and he has a group called T. He performs as TM uh, Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I noticed that. In fact, I looked up TM Revolution at one point with maybe a Shazam or something. Yeah. So um, those songs are under his name, under Takanori Nishikawa. If you were to look them up on uh, uh, Apple Music or Tidal or Spotify or what have you. Um. So yeah, it was. I I did end up listening to a like hunting down uh, roll the dice a few times while I after this because that that pretty good earworm and kind of invented itself in my brain yeah no and it and it and it, it was a nice counterpoint you know you you've got this very like medieval uh vibe uh with everything and to, to throw in some some modern rock music uh uh was a was was a cool way to to for me it wasn't dissonant it was like oh yeah that's that's the vibe we want you know these these are these are the rock stars of their day basically especially um long Wu, the uh uh, the bard uh, and, yes, and uh, his talking guitar. Yes. A song that dooms evil. Uh, he's a great character. I love the, um, the, the his talking transforming guitar. Cause remember it. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. 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 Transforms into a sword. Um, that was the first thing that made me go, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be able to swallow a talking guitar? Um, but but uh, as it went along, it worked, especially because I thought it was good that they didn't have him be totally silent. He could talk if he wanted. And they gave you a decent explanation of like, it's a bad idea for him to talk. That's why he doesn't talk a lot. And I'll do the talking for him. Um, there was another thing with that character I don't know if you've ever run across uh, Word of Honor. Uh, it's a it's a Chinese uh, series, and I, wait, is it Word of Honor or I always get these confused? It's either Word of Honor or The Untamed. Maybe it's The Untamed, but there is a character with a very similar name who has the ability to play a guitar to you know uh, as a weapon. Uh, which uh, and, and so I, I liked it. I was like, oh, wait, I've seen this before. I like this. I, I like this idea. I have not seen that, but I have seen Deadful Melody. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, which it's not a, it's not a guitar. It is, um, the name of the instrument fell out of my head just now. Yeah. Uh, same for me. I know but, what you're talking about, though. It's, 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 it's the big, um, black lap. one. Yeah. The lap, the lap Almost one. like a harpsichord, but yeah. yeah. It yep. also also shows up the same instrument also shows up in um Kung Fu Hustle with mm, really does uh, it okay uh with the uh two assassins um who end up getting taken out by uh landlord and landlady uh Wikipedia describes it as a demonic talking pipa yeah pipa is the name of the traditional Taiwanese that's instrument. this particular one okay cool yeah it, it, it's it's of the same general like um neck plus resonating board um, yeah a resonating gourd family of like that of the guitar mandolin uh that's i wasn't sure i liked the talking people at first uh but he but he won me over by the end of the season i, yeah. I became a fan um yeah I, I was amused so after um watching season one i saw season zero uh, episode zero like oh they, they hadn't intended for this character to be in this yet and they modeled him after um after TM Revolution, and mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, just like, hey, we have this as part of the promotional display and that sort of thing. And then the the writer um, for the series, uh, Genarabuchi, like, I'm going to write him into the show. Yeah, that was a uh, great call. I, I thought that character really, really added uh, some nice depth and a, and a and a fun ally to show up uh, on a couple occasions. Yeah. Um, so Genarabuchi is an interesting writer because this is. So this isn't his first major show. Like he had done before this, he'd done Madoka Magica. He had done, um, I, I don't know if he'd done Fate Zero before this already, um, but he'd like done, I mean, looking at his uh, Anime News Network profile, I think he, yeah, he had done, uh, before this he'd done um, Fate Zero, he'd done uh, Madoka Magica, he'd done uh, Psycho Pass at this point. Um, so... It's interesting to think, you know, like, because he'd been a fan of um, uh, the works from this studio 
in the past, um, as far as the works from us at Peely, uh, their, their Peely fantasy series in the past, and they had run right in there. So I'm really impressed with how well he's able to work in this medium as far as for um, this type of storytelling beyond just animation and that sort of thing. Ah, um, so what bits in particular were, were moments that really stood out to you uh, from the series and, and were like, oh, that was a great moment and that sort of thing? Yeah, the the the, uh, the heel turn of the monk uh, was was really fun. Uh, it was uh, I wouldn't say it was entirely unanticipated, but I, I certainly didn't know quite what to make of that character when he showed up uh, because he was very monkish, you know, very, very level headed. Uh, and, and so having him become the big bad in the second half uh, of the season made it very interesting. I was a little disappointed with Scorpion Necklace. Uh, I felt like that character should have been stronger than it was portrayed. Uh, and, and and they sort of they sort of undercut it. Um, but uh, the the battle scenes particularly uh, were the ones that were really fun to watch, mostly because of the technical aspect of it uh, and being able to marvel that my brain was just watching uh, a, a wuxia fight <laughs> and uh, and yet uh, trying to remind myself that this was all being done with puppets and it wasn't just people on people on strings is impressive enough but you know puppets on people's hands that made it doubly so and I thought they did a great job pulling that off yeah I do think that um, um, Scorpion Necklace got done a bit dirty with the transition to the second half of the series um, that the um, like we, we at the opening portion like we did get a really good sense of how she's able to be very a very dangerous figure yeah um, like where she like she nearly beats edgeless blade with the poison like and like the way that she handles her fights in a much more subtle less direct manner than the antagonist that we had reintroduced in the previous season than uh we have with the monk in this season and that sort of thing um also get a sense of like with um hunting fox as well with how like like our, our up up until the monk shifts into the main antagonist um we have the sense of like these foes aren't gonna be ones but that can be resolved in just a straight fight yeah yeah um where hunting fox both can turn the bureaucracy against you but also can and also can bring numbers against you that make uh, numbers of people who are effectively like innocent bystanders in various degrees um and turn that and turn that on you and get and make for a more difficult fight um and again with scorpion necklace she uses poison and so she doesn't have to just beat you in a straight fight she can get in poison you and then just bide her time yeah yeah she can fight smart uh and and one of the cool things about this is you have hunting fox you even even have gail uh you have everyone arrayed against our hero right uh gail might have help him sometimes but maybe not always because it's it's you know chaotic uh neutral ish uh but but it is it is uh it is fun to be like okay he's totally outnumbered from multiple sides and i i, I wanted scorpion to stay you know that that way to 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 stay as, as someone who was a threat and i felt like they they undercut her uh in that in that way um it, it didn't it's not like i'm i'm coming down on on the plot but i was a little disappointed by that i was like ah oh, they could have kept her strong you could have had scorpions flooding in uh at certain times to to complicate things uh, even more uh but it's not like he had a shortage of villains so you know I'm, yeah speaking of which what do you think of seven blasphemous deaths as a character? oh yeah i was gonna get to that next as, as i love the the uh mythology of the swords and and then the sword having a personality uh and being a temptress uh and and sort of saying you know trying to pick allies it, it there's a little bit of the one ring from tolkien in that uh it, it, except with, obviously with a voice that can, that can talk to other characters but like i will choose the best way to achieve my aims which are utter chaos and, and destruction. I, I thought that was one of the best parts of the entire season. 
yeah, I was watching it with my dad. Both of us have read the Elric novels. And mm-hmm. when we saw us, we saw Seven Blasphemous Deaths. We heard his name, but hadn't started talking that much yet. That was, oh, it's like Stormbringer. Sure. And then it yeah, started yeah. talking a bunch. Like, actually, it's Stormbringer, but better. Yeah. Because <laughs> in the book, Stormbringer gets one line at the very end of the of the Elric saga. Uh-huh. And I was here like, no, Stormbringer, like, Seven Blasphemous Deaths gets to talk to much, a bunch, be tempting and taunting, and it has a history with other characters and all. And manipulative of- and strategic too. Yeah, that was fun. And, and it even plots even have setbacks, like it manipulates yeah. the monk into becoming uh, its new welder, and then it's like, oh, like the monk's really strong. That's not necessarily a good a thing. A good with thing, this guy's right? I can't dominate it as much. Damn it. <laughs> And now he's going to like leave me out here in the wastelands. No, that's not going to work. We need to work on that. Yeah, that was was a good plot line. I really thought that was strong and fun. Yeah, um, I liked that a lot. Um, I will say if you want more of a seven blasphemous deaths, I mean, not to find find a point on it. The monk and seven blasphemous deaths go falling into ravine where somebody says later, oh, no one ever could have, no one possibly could have survived that, which, mm. well, like, which means they totally survived, survived. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so if you want more seven blasphemous deaths, um, next season will satisfy what <laughs> that, that's ah, that good to know. Yeah. Um, so like th- that was great. Um, I did like the uh, guest appearances we got from characters from season one with um, with the other members from like the, the main party from season one. Oh, that um, showed up at the end. Yeah. The, uh, mm-hmm. um, with, uh, uh, Wan Kun Yun, um, uh, we only get his arts name here, but it's frozen wonder. And I'm mentioning like, Oh yeah, I'm to learn the, 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 my wife's, um, sword style, uh, my family's sword style. I prefer a spear and that sort of thing and like yeah, whole- that was that was probably the only time where i felt like oh i'm definitely missing something having not seen season one yeah um i also liked the just just in general the expansion of the general political and social environment of this country um because mm-hmm. in the first season we got a we got notes about the monasteries and because we had uh xinghai not xinghai uh we had um the like the, the monastery that the that the sister was from mm-hmm. and that sort of thing in season one but we didn't have any sense of any larger structure for that sort of thing and now we have oh we have like the idea that these are these traveling magistrates so enigmatic gale can pose as one um and that's normalized enough that if he says oh i'm a traveling magistrate from the emperor we're like oh sure yeah that that makes sense yeah um I'm totally not a con artist thief. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I did think the original way that the scroll got stolen, the index that got stolen, was a bit clunky. Um, you know, here here here's someone uh, entrusted with with guarding this index with his life, uh, given a letter of introduction, uh, comes to a, to you know a, a shrine that is well defended, uh, and immediately gets betrayed. Uh, and then I thought it was a little clunky the way they had uh, Hunting Fox turn everyone against him. Although later they do a good job of explaining why he wants to do that. I was still like, but why, why would they be so easily swayed by him uh, when, when he clearly was helping them like they're right in front of their own eyes. Uh, but if you forgive that, and it's, it's certainly not, you know, the worst, uh, the worst quick turn I've ever seen in, in, in any show, uh, it, it does make it more interesting. So I was willing to forgive it because it, it, it again, allowed us to have this array of threats uh, that he couldn't possibly get away from. Uh, but I was like, oh, I, I'm a little disappointed in the leader of the shrine for, uh, for, for believing Hunting Fox so quickly. Yeah, I, I kind of bought it a little bit because they had, they'd set up in season one and they did a good job of reestablishing in season two that say you and um, the um, main kingdom where the story takes place have been mm-hmm. separated for a very long time. And there's sure. a lot of ignorance of, of say you. So when uh, Shang Buhan goes, yeah, uh, so the government of say you is dirty as hell. 
and really violent and totalitarian, and we can't trust them with these swords. So that's why we, um, I and some other people put together the Sorcerer's uh, Sword Index and I skipped town. Um, so like that makes sense for why um, Hunting Fox would be like, oh, no, this like this is an environment where somebody very dirty. Oh, thrive. for sure. Yeah, I, and, I totally and, buy the Hunting Fox side of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you there. And, um, and I like that wider metaphor of like an incredible danger uh, that that must be kept out of the wrong hands. Uh, very, very modern <laughs> in its feeling. What did you think of the repeated um, humiliations inflicted on that poor dragon? Oh, that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The, <laughs> the, the one winged dragon. Uh, and yeah, I, <laughs> I. I didn't feel too bad for it. I don't know why. I probably should have. Now that you bring it up, I'm like, I should have pitied it more uh, now that I think about it. But it, it was kind of a jerk, so I didn't really care. Yeah, like this great bit of like all these dangers that are across the, the yeah, wasteland. Yeah. I'm like, like the, the, the tribe of cannibals and Sigma, like, yeah, I accidentally killed their leader. <laughs> that was funny. The, the <laughs> sort of like, wait, the wastelands don't seem nearly as dangerous as everyone said. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, I guess I accidentally killed everything that would have discouraged anyone chasing me from crossing the <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was a good that was a good mechanic and believable right <laughs> that that this this is the hero who could have pulled that off if anyone could have and, and how sometimes being the hero that can pull it off can bite you in the butt <laughs> yeah 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 and which, which is again a testament to the complex uh story that that's told here it's 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 not on rails yeah um let's see your other bit i also liked when um when enigmatic gale's plot for hunting fox ended up just falling apart like in terms of when we went to the aha i shall i shall reveal my plan and your 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 criminal empire is ruined and i shall feast upon your tears and that sort of thing like okay i can work with this i can adjust what you're, you're not sit back at all <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it was almost like oh wait you're a little too much like me here like you you, you have so few scruples that you're not even going to be daunted uh when when i tear everything apart you'll you'll just adapt i i almost expected enigmatic gale to be like you know what i need you as an apprentice <laughs> like <laughs> you're good at this uh he, he might have like if Hunting Fox had stuck around long enough. That probably could have happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But definitely had Enigma get like, like storming off. Like, I don't want to hear that guy's name anymore. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Like, Enigma and Gale is one of the best characters uh, in the, in the, the mechanics of this plot uh, because of the chaotic nature and because you, you never quite know uh, what really is motivating him. Like we, we know that he's somebody who, finds joy in humiliating villains. He's built mm -hmm. this out a bit more in the first season where not to spoil too much of it, where it's like, he basically like, yeah, humiliating villains is fun. Yeah. Humiliating heroes is boring. They, yeah. um, they think like villains, when you screw up their plans, they throw temper tantrums and all this stuff. And it's great. Um, and the cool thing is that you get the sense that enigmatic Gale doesn't care about good or evil. It's just that when you humiliate heroes, it's no fun. I'd humili he'd humiliate heroes if he was more entertained by it, but he's not. Yeah, and instead, like his like tack is like I'm going like I think that Edgeless Blade is a fun little chew toy as made mm -hmm. for villains to kind of to, to set lure them out so that I can then just not play with the villains and before I destroy them. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um. So like like he's um he's yeah he's gotten the nickname among the fandom of vape wizard and I definitely oh because of name. the smoke yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so all um, oh, right that was another good bit actually that I almost forgot about it till you mentioned the smoke but his ability to cause illusions uh and then then him uh, tricking hunting fox uh, uh later on was it was a nice little little gambit there the other bit they established like more in season one, but they kind of tease it, bring it up here is also his him being a master uh, forger mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where he can forge anything as long as he has enough time to handle it. Yeah. And then the, the, the bit where they were like business partners and he swaps out the glasses uh, <laughs> and all of that, it was brilliant. Uh, like it, it's like, 
really fun series. Uh, other thing I enjoy uh, that they've done for um, that Peely has done is occasionally they've done little side things like April Fool's Day and that sort of thing, where they will have like the Thunderbolt fantasy characters end up interacting with other franchises. Often, oh, that's fun. Them. Yeah, um, they did one where like the women of the um, uh, Thunderbolt fantasy series interact with. Um, end up interacting with Kubei from uh, Madoka Magica, which is the uh, bunny cat who tries to turn good girls to become signed contracts to become magical girls so he could um, wear his own nefarious purposes. And basically, um, Enemy Gales up and goes, yeah, um, you're like, it, it, it takes a takes a, a con artist to know a con artist, and I I, I recognize <laughs> I recognize you, and then he proceeds and Cuba proceeds to get thoroughly pummeled. Ah, uh, they don't become yeah. best friends. No, they do not become best friends. Um, and then the other one they did was one for um, Fate Grand Order, where they, so, where like this one demon shows up and. Um, Enigmatic Gale summons Saber from the from Fate Stay Night mm. to um, take it out, um, and then it cuts back. The, the conclusion is cuts back is they're at actually is Saber is actually at the um, main the base of operations from the Fate Stay Night from the Fate Grand Order mobile game and is watching a TV show. Like this is a, this is a fun stone snacking. Yeah, nice. Um, but the, the main. More focusing. Oh, they did a puppet of Saber, which, considering the craftsmanship put into those puppets, is very impressive. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, in watching that episode zero, I'm really glad that you encouraged me uh, to watch that because seeing the behind the scenes and seeing how it's made. Um, if anybody knows, and I know you know, but if anybody listening knows Sword and Laser, uh, we had a video series of that show, which is a science fiction and fantasy book club show, uh, where we had a, a dragon uh, that that was made and it was articulated uh, so that it could like, blow smoke out of its nose and all of this. Uh, and the shop we worked with uh, was was amazing uh, in what they were doing. So I, I got a little bit of a close up look at how some of the stuff is done and how much work and craftsmanship goes into it. And then to see this where they're making these, you know, ornate outfits and uh, these these puppets that have to be able to do martial arts uh, and and the explosions and the pyrotechnics and and the sort of, you know, room sized sets uh, that they're using and, and the, the, the one take situations where they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to burn it right now. So, you know, we got one shot at this and better get it right. Uh, all of that was, was fascinating, uh, to see. And, and, and so, yeah, the, the ability to make any kind of puppet, like you're talking about outside of that world is it's so much work. So it, it, it's so impressive to, to think about. And it's so much time. It's, it's admirable. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, by the time I discovered Thunderbolt Fantasy, some of the other Peely shows had actually, at, at various points, made it onto uh, American television or streaming services. Um, there was a brief Peely Fantasy series that made it on Netflix for a time. Um, they ran a, Peely, a couple seasons of Peely Fantasy on Adult Swim for a time, but it got... Um, the Netflix elected not to do a second season and let the mm. license lapse, and Adult Swim decided not to, decided not to renew it. And neither of those are sadly available in physical media, which is a bummer. So, the, so there's nowhere to get them now. Oh, uh, it's not in the U.S. I mean, legally. I mean, <laughs> yeah, not those U.S. releases, uh, not with the English, because uh, with the yeah, oh, with the English one, dubs. Yeah, yeah with the one, I would have had an English dub. I don't know if the um, Netflix one had one. Um. So, um. Any final thoughts on uh, Thunderbolt Fantasy? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I, I was happy when you invited me to come on. Uh, I was a little nervous uh, about having to comment on, on something that I'm only, you know, have a shallow experience uh, with. And then uh, when it became a series instead of just a movie uh, that that we were going to watch, I was like, okay, uh, you know, that's that's a little more time commitment. Uh, but you know, let let me look at it, and it was puppets on top of it. So 
it being puppet wuxia is the thing that made me say all right i'll give it a try and i'm very glad that i did uh this this is the kind of of thing that i was unaware existed and so i thank you for letting me uh find out that it existed and it opened a whole new corner of of media and storytelling and craftsmanship that that i was un, unaware of before so i had a lot of fun uh watching this i eileen kept walking in my wife kept walking in and being like what what is this what are you watching and i had to uh, try to explain a little bit of it uh, to her because she's a big wuxia fan herself so uh so mostly i just want to say thank you uh, for for recommending this and, and letting me watch it along with you it was really fun i'm glad you enjoyed it quick explanation for the the earlier thing we're just referring to tom was originally planned to be the guest for um the december episode where we watched um arcadia of my youth and talked a bit about anime music videos um actually because we've got a little bit of time if you watched any of the anime music videos on the playlist they put together any thoughts on those i didn't get a chance to watch those i'm sorry i wish i i wish i had just just time crunch kept me from it no that, that, that's that's perfectly fine i thought i'd ask um so um since you're my first guest that i've really had um Part of the idea that I had behind doing the podcast originally was like bringing on people who are less experienced with anime. Um, and since I'm familiar with you for the um, through the Sword and Laser Book Club podcast, do you want me to do like a recommendation thing or something like that? Yeah, sure. That'd be that'd be fun. Uh, you know, my my time is always fluctuating, as we found in trying to schedule me over the months. Uh, but but when I get an open moment, I, I'm always looking for something cool and fun to watch. So so bring it on. Let me let me let me hear what you have to say. All right. Since my first encounter you with you, outside from I think maybe I heard you on this week in tech once or twice. Sure. Um was through sword and laser uh i'm gonna do a sword a laser sword pick a laser pick and then a in-between pick um, okay so uh my sword pick is actually a show that's currently airing this season uh it's called free Rin beyond journey's end how do you spell free Rin? f-r-i uh, let me pull this up um f-r-i-e-r-e-n um this is a uh, fantasy anime, um, a more sort of heroic fantasy Western style thing. Um, and the premise of it is the main character is this immortal elf sorceress. And mm. previously she and a, a group of adventurers had had this big adventure to overthrow, to defeat the demon king and save the world. That store, that adventure has completed. And in fact, like the beginning of first episode, they've, completed the journey the adventure and have come back 30 years later she's immortal she has um she hasn't aged much but her, her companions were mortal they're humans and a dwarf and they've grown old and are passing away and that sort of thing and so she's um now going on a new journey with a group of human companions um to go to a location at the top of the world where you can speak to the spirits of the dead. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Uh, which, ha which happens to go along the route of their, of her previous adventure. And so she's going through communities that she'd gone through previously 30 years after and seeing the aftermath of mm. that, of, of the, of her previous adventure. And so also it's a nostalgia tour for her. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a nostalgia tour, but also kind of a mediation on mm. like grief and various other things. Mm -hmm, so, so mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, has like plenty of like spectacular adventure action and that sort of thing, uh, fantasy action, but it also has this nice, mellow, sort of introspective element to the plot that works really well, I think. Cool. And it looks like it was based on a manga, as so many things are. Yep. Um, my laser pick, um, I had a couple thoughts for this. I'm going to go with my gut and go with my first one which is going to be mobile suit gundam witch from mercury mobile soup suit 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 oh mobile my, yeah because gundam yeah, yeah. Mobile suit gundam witch from mercury this is the most recent gundam series uh it's in its own timeline which means it doesn't have all the baggage of the big universal century timeline it's a nice 24 episodes uh it has some very heavy queer themes to it not subtext it's pretty text okay. um and it 
tells the story really well. If I have any complaints about it at all, it could probably have been 12 episodes longer, um, which is something that's been reiterated by a bunch of other people. Okay. Um, Leave them wanting more. Got it. Yeah. Um, and then for the in-between, I want to go with one of the shows that we've done for the podcast, uh, which is uh, Shiro Bako. How do you spell that? S-H-I-R-O-B-A-K-O. And it is an anime about how anime is made. Ah, okay. Um, like one of the things that I observed with like people talking about movies about movies and that sort of they tend to get a bit too up their own keister. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that, however, what works with when anime gets into this is because they're tending to get into a more long-form storytelling it ends up becoming more educational um, in terms of understanding what, how the production process works, even if it's idealized for uh, interpretation of the production process. Um, Freerin and Gundam are both on Crunchyroll, which has, um, uh, which is where um, the uh, Thunderbolt fantasy was streaming. Right. And also both of those currently have dubs, English dubs. Okay. Shiro Bako is on High Dive, which is a different streaming service. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're the one who also had the um, Ken Liu and um, novel adaptation series. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they also have the original Legend of Galactic Heroes anime. If you want a hundred and something episodes of fantasy space opera epic, mm. that is right up your alley. Fantastic. Uh, um, so that... so. Come for the Shirobako, stay for the space opera spec- uh, <laughs> spectacle. Nice. Um, so those are my three recommendations. These um, are great. Thank you for these. Now, I admit that probably most of my listen- most listeners coming to this episode will be coming from your sh- from one of your shows. But <laughs> for, for the, any listeners who are not, um, Tom, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, of course. The, there will be plenty of folks who, who are like, who the heck are you? Uh, you can find all the things I do at TomMerritt.com, two R's, two T's. Uh, but the main thing I do is the Daily Tech News Show, Monday through Friday. It's a ch- a ch- an attempt to, in 30 minutes, keep you updated on what's going on in the world of tech so that you can understand what's going on without having to read all the things yourself. Uh, and of course, probably of interest, as I mentioned earlier, Sword and Laser, uh, it's a science fiction and fantasy book club. So every month we read a book, we alternate between a sword, a fantasy pick, and a laser, a science fiction pick. Uh, my co-host Veronica Belmont and I both are genre fans. She was more into the fantasy and I was more into the science fiction. And we used to just recommend books to each other and decided to start doing it uh, as as part of a book club and then that became a podcast so you can find that at swordandlaser.com and i will say the sword and laser book club podcast is kind of one of my inspirations for doing this show so uh i fully endorse the sword and laser book club podcast fantastic thank you um and if you enjoyed what you heard here um and want to help support cover hosting costs and that sort of thing, please consider backing my Patreon at patreon.com slash count zero O-R. That's count Z-E-R-O-O-R. Um, and also, please rate and review the podcast on your podcasting platform of choice, Spotify, um, Google, uh, YouTube Music Now, since Google Podcasts is going away, um, Apple Podcasts, or what have you. It helps people find the show. Um, next month, because we are a monthly show, we will be covering the original uh, 2006 uh, Fate Stay Night anime uh, that has a physical uh, D- uh, DVD and Blu-ray release and is also available for streaming on High Dive. Um, it is the, the anime um, series that helped launch a multi-billion dollar empire. Um, if you have seen... Um, Fate Grand Order in your and the games promotion section of the app store of your choosing. This is where that all began. Uh, almost where it all began. It actually began with the visual novel that this is adapted from, but we'll talk about that next month. Uh, before, I guess the tech side of things. Have you, have you ever heard of Fate Grand Order or the Fate franchise at all, Tom? No, I haven't. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm just curious because you've been a gotten that much penetration but okay yeah yeah it's like like i remember seeing an article in bloomberg 
Um, like that fake Grand Order was the highest grossing mobile game of like 2016 or like the 2015. Oh, nice. Era. So like, like bringing like multi-billion dollars out sell outgrossing um, Pokemon and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it all started from a mobile game sold at comic, not mobile game, a uh, visual novel sold at comic cat and got turned into, or which got turned into a anime and we'll talk more about that next month so uh, until then thank you all for listening so uh, until then thank you all for listening <laughs>